Thanks, Jen. It would seem it's a sporting day. The poll on YouTube is definitive, as always. What is the best thing about Boxing Day for you? 33% of people are saying the cricket. Equally, 33% of people are saying Sydney to Hobart. Uh, who said... Is that you, Rod? Sydney to Hobart. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's good, I guess. So it's, it's, look, it's sport. That's good. Sleeping, 22%, and the boxers, 11%. It's, uh, it's good, so it's a sporting day. It's a sporting day, apparently, according to the internet, which knows everything. Which leads us to the good sporting cliches that you all need this Christmas. A good sporting cliche comes from the philosophers of our day, the commentators of sporting events. You remember, it wasn't quite a commentator, but a player... Many years ago, as Mal Meninga was playing for the Queensland State of Origin team and the camera was able to get all the way in on a circle of the Queensland players before the game was about to start, the anthems had already been sung. And as the camera panned into the captain, Mal Meninga, to say his most poignant of words to his team, he said this, boys, we've got to do it for 40 minutes, turn around and do it for another 40 it's inspiring, if not directly descriptive of what the match is, but nonetheless, thank you, Mel. Uh, it's, a it's a game of two halves, exactly right. Or oh, then there's Doug Collins, the famous NBA commentator. He said this Anytime Detroit scores more than 100 points and holds the other team to below 100 points, they almost always win. I'd like to see when they don't win, but anyway, there we are. Uh, and Murray Walker, the famous Formula One commentator, said this The lead car in this race is absolutely unique, except for the car behind it, which is identical. (laughs) Good on you, Murray. Thank you very much. These are the philosophers of our day. If you were to sum up the Christian faith in a sporting cliche, what would it be? I reckon I know what a lot of people would say. We gave 110% out there today. 110%. What does that mean? How do you give 110%? Yeah, might as well give 160, 170%. What does it mean? Well, we know what the cliche means, don't we? The cliche to give 110% is to say, I did my absolute best, I busted a gut, I went above and beyond. And that's the cliche we often recognise as describing the Christian faith. Does the cliche, I gave 110%, describe your Christian faith? Well, for the book of Galatians, the answer would be, no, it ought not to be your cliche. It's not about giving 110%. This is where we're going to start in the book of Galatians for our summer series, Finding Freedom. As we start 2022 and this Sunday still in 2021, we are uh, looking at a theme that has dominated the world over the last 6 to 12 months. Freedom. What is freedom? We've all yearned for it. We feel as though we've had freedom taken away. We want freedom back. What does that exactly mean? Indeed, when uh, some of the restrictions lifted earlier this year, that's what it was called, wasn't it? Freedom Day. What does that mean? Well, for many people, it means I get to do what I choose to do. Or in the negative, I'm not going to do what people tell me to do. Freedom, then, is the ability for me to choose a range of different options for myself because it's about myself. Well, for the next six weeks, we're going to look at this theme of freedom. 
we're going to see what freedom really is. Freedom from a biblical perspective. And we're going to look at six important passages of scripture about what freedom really is so that we might enter this new year ready to live as free people. And we'll begin with this one today. As chapter 5 verse 1 tells us in Galatians, it is for freedom you have been set free. So we're going to look at this uh, this morning in Galatians 5 uh, 4 and 5, for freedom you've been set free. Just to let you know throughout this summer series, we're not going to be doing any Q&A, uh, but you can always Q&A at any time to any of the preachers. They're happy with that, but not up the front uh, for this series. In the meantime, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us in these next few moments as we look at it. We ask, please, that you would teach us, encourage us and shape us so that we might be the people that you would have us be, free people so that we might be ready to live in freedom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you had five minutes to explain the Christian faith to somebody, what would you say? And how long would it take you to come up with the word freedom? My guess is that for most people, explaining the Christian faith, freedom is not one of those things that would be at the top of their list. More likely there might be a a description perhaps of rules or ideas or standards But chapter 5, verse 1 makes it clear. For freedom, Christ has set us free. See, this verse tells us all we need to know about freedom. And it tells us that before we were a Christian, we were bound, tied down under a yoke. We were stuck. But now, in Christ, we can have freedom. Now, by itself, this is a interesting phrase and an interesting way of thinking about things i mean if we're honest with ourselves uh, those of us who are watching online or in the building here today feel like we are more under a yoke and bondage oh i've got to go to church than that free person that's out on the boat on the georges river this morning one feels free and the other feels in bondage but according to the scriptures it's the opposite way around we are tied down as a slave to sin And the Bible tells us that we cannot escape. And that all that we do, even the good things that we do, we cannot escape the slavery, the bondage to sin that we all feel. But Jesus, Jesus came to free us of this captivity. Imagine for a moment that that was true of your real life. Whatever the situation was, you had found yourself to be literally captive somewhere. Someone had taken you captive, locked you away, and there was no way for you to be able to get out. And imagine how wonderful it would be for somebody to come and free you from that captivity, whatever it might be. And how thankful and wondrous it would be to walk out into freedom after being captive for a period of time. Well, this is what Jesus has done for us. But then imagine for a moment. That that person who was freed, yourself perhaps, who was freed from that captivity, would then decide to go back into the same captivity. We see this often, don't we? As those who have been placed in prison for whatever reason, come out, re-offend, in order to get back into the captivity that felt safer to them. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1 to the Galatians, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You've been freed. Don't go back into that slavery to the law. 
The Galatians were in danger of doing this and we are always in danger of going back on the freedom that's been delivered to us in Jesus. And why do we do this? Why do human beings do this? Well, we all love the idea of a black and white world. A black and white world where the rules are set and we follow the rules and that's all right. But Paul says that's not the freedom that Christ has saved us for. It's a safer place for us in our minds to follow the law, to try to please God. But Paul says that is slavery, in fact. Which brings us to the start of the passage this morning. From chapter 4, verse 21, Paul gives this obscure analogy from the Old Testament. An analogy, an allegory, actually, that he says is about slavery and freedom. Let's have a look at it just quickly together. Slavery and freedom. First of all, he says, if you desire to follow the Lord to please God, listen to this. Look at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the Lord, do you not listen to the law? Well, now he's going to take his readers and us back on a journey to the Old Testament, into the history of God's people, and particularly the feature man of the Old Testament, the man Abraham. Look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. You might remember yourself through the book of Genesis, we follow Abraham, or Abram as he was originally known, throughout the promises that had been given to him by God. And one of the problems with the promises is that he was unable to have a son. And so after many years of waiting for the son who had been promised, he decides to take matters into his own hands and to have a son in sin with his slave woman, Hagar. And this child that was born to him named Ishmael would be born into slavery as his mother was indeed a slave. And yet years later, Abraham had another son, a second son, born in righteousness to his wife, a free woman. The son Isaac, the son of the promise, who likewise was born into freedom. And Paul says here in these verses... Abraham had two sons. One was born of the slave woman into slavery. One was born to the free woman into freedom. And he goes on then to say in verses 24 to 27 that this example is, a, is an allegory that teaches us about how we should live. Look at verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Now, these verses are a little confusing. And that Paul would use this confusing example is, is strange to our ears, and even stranger that he would take a real historical event and turn it into an allegory. But what he's saying is that these two women and their two children represent two different religions, two different ways of looking at the world, two different gospels, if you like, two different spiritual truths. And they're the same reason that, of course, in our Bibles, we have two testaments because there are two covenants or two agreements in the Bible. One, the Old Testament, the old way, the old covenant emphasized the law and obedience to please God. 
Paul says, this is a slavery. But the new covenant, the new agreement with God and his world is an agreement in Christ of freedom, of grace and of the gospel. And so he says in verse 28, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He brings it home and makes it personal. And he says, if you're a Christian, you're free. You are free of the law to please God. You don't belong to the slave woman, if you like. You belong to the free woman. So don't go back that old way. You see, this was the danger for the Galatians. Right at the beginning of the book of Galatians, Paul gives them a right old hammering because they are running away from the gospel of freedom. And here he says, do not go back to the way of slavery. See, at its most basic level we as human beings love the idea that we can please God by doing things at the end of the day this is basic human religion at every level human religion focuses on what we might do to please God and if we've got a list and we can tick it off and check it twice work out if we're naughty or nice That's what we'd like to do. But the gospel, the gospel of Christ brings freedom. Freedom from this pursuit. Freedom from the heartache when we mess up. Freedom from the desire that we all have to please God by that list. And classically, you would have heard of of this before, classically, all of the religions of the world can be spelt with those two letters, D-O. What do we do to please God? But the gospel spelt by an extra two letters, D-O-N-E. What has been done for us? Now, we might say this morning, I know this. I've heard this before. Let's get onto something that might be more relevant to day-to-day life. But here's the thing. The minute we assume this gospel, we start to lose it. We must come back at the beginning of a new year and see what the freedom is that's been given to us in Jesus. Jesus frees us from the need to please God for Jesus pleases God on our behalf. A preacher who uh, long ago departed from the faith told this story. He said there's a frog and the frog fell into a pail of milk. No matter what the frog did, the frog was unable to jump out of the pail of milk and was going to drown. Tried to jump up on the side, couldn't get out. Tried to jump up on the side, couldn't get out. Tried to jump up on the side, couldn't get out. Tried and failed over and over again. But then the frog worked something out. If I paddle hard enough, if I paddle hard enough, if I paddle hard enough, the milk will turn into butter and the butter will let me jump out. And this preacher told this story in order to say, that's what we should do. We can't get out of our sin, but if we work hard enough, we'll turn the milk into butter and we'll be able to jump out of our present problems. But this is not the gospel. This is not the gospel of Jesus. 
but in grace and mercy and kindness, what we are unable to do in the mercy of Christ is given to us at the cross. Now again, this still doesn't sit well with our human sensibilities. We are still, as they say, self-made men worshipping our creator. It's an interesting time, Christmas, isn't it? I don't know what it was like at your house. But certainly I know that in the days leading up to Christmas, lots of people worked really hard to get their house just right. To get it all together, to get it clean and sorted out. And I can understand where that comes from, but think about what we try to do there. In our life, we are trying to please other people by the things that we do. And this is the world that we live in. And while that's totally understandable from Christmas lunch point of view, it's hard when we live this life all the time not to imagine that some of that can seep into our Christian life. See, it's true that for some, they only let God into their life when they feel as though life is completely sorted for them. I'll have time for God when I get my life sorted out, when I get everything in order, when I get my health sorted out, when I get my finances sorted out. When I get my children sorted out, when I get my life sorted out, when I get my blank sorted out, then I'll let God into my life. We do this with our prayers, don't we? All of us do. When we feel that we're not quite good enough for God, that's the time when our prayer life goes down the toilet, isn't it? But actually, that's the time we ought to be praying more than ever. See, we live in this world... That says, if you do good, you'll be rewarded. But this is not the gospel mentality. And it's not the way to freedom. Because it does not matter how successful we are. Or how good our family is. Or how clean our house is. Or where you take your holidays. Or your score in your HSC. Or your morality. Qualifications. Your friendliness meter. Whatever it might be. Your IQ. None of these matter. In the sight of God. And all of them lead to burdens that we cannot bear. But chapter 5 verse 1 says. There is an answer to the slavery of this world. Trying to please God with the things that we do. And the answer is in Christ. For freedom. Christ has set us free. We must understand that the world we live in. Deals in works righteousness all the time. Perform well and you'll be rewarded. Perform well and you'll be rewarded. But this is not the way to freedom with God. And we must recognise that the world in which we live can seep easily into our minds. And so as we start 2022, we need to remember again that Christianity and works righteousness cannot exist together. The gospel reminds us that we are wretched and hopeless and helpless and that we're freed from that captivity by the person of Jesus and by his work on the cross. It is for freedom that we've been set free. So the big question is then, if we've been freed by Jesus, what is the freedom that we've been freed into? What does that mean? And in many ways, the rest of this series will bear this out piece by piece for us. The implications will come out in this series, but 
For this passage today, chapter 5, verse 1, goes on to say, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We must recognise that the reason God is pleased with us is because he's pleased with his son. And he loves us because we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he sent his son for us. Do not submit again to the mindset that to-do lists will please God, that the cleanliness of your life will please God. The truth of the matter is when we're freed by God, we are freed to freedom with him. And so a little bit of a sneak peek as to what this looks like over the next few weeks. If we are free to live with Jesus, it means we do not have to, again, focus on ourselves, our own righteousness, our own justification. But instead, we're freed up to stop looking at ourselves, our own achievements and our own please God meter to then serve others. We can turn off our self-interest and turn on an interest of others. As a result, we'll go out of our way to look after and serve and care for others. We won't bite and devour them. We'll be long-suffering with others and so on. We'll show love and service. We'll even show our own brokenness so that others will know that the gospel is at work in that person's life. For when we know the freedom of Christ, we are free to live as the people of Christ, giving and loving and serving and sharing with others. See, today we've begun to think about what freedom really is. What does freedom mean to you? As you've thought about this year, was Freedom Day for you that day of living free of restrictions? Was it the day where nobody is able to tell you what to do? Where you can make decisions for yourself? where you have no consequences attached to your decision-making. But Jesus says freedom is a different thing. It's about being free from the captivity of sin that we have. See, as I mentioned at the beginning, many of us see the man on his boat out in the Georges River, maybe on the port hacking, as being the free person today. But if you know and love the Lord Jesus and you're here and you're hearing this message again, then you can revel in the freedom that's been given to you. Freedom is not the decision to sit on the harbour and sip coffee or be at a party and do whatever you want. Freedom comes with knowing Christ Jesus. And it is for freedom that you have been set free. And this is why we rejoice. For once we were captive to sin and captive to our own hearts and minds. But now we're set free in Christ Over the rest of this series, we're going to develop this theme a little bit more as we continue to find freedom in God's word. But for the meantime, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have set us free in Jesus. And we thank you that we don't have to give 110% because you've freed us in the Lord Jesus and in him alone. And in this world that works its way through good deeds and righteousness, by giving 110% and being rewarded for it, we ask, please, that you might help us to resist this way of thinking when it comes to you. We ask that you might focus our eyes again on Jesus so that we might find in him true freedom, freedom for our souls and freedom in our lives. 
And we ask, please, that you might free us up, therefore, to stop looking inwardly at ourselves, but outwardly towards others, as the Lord Jesus himself did. We ask that over these next few weeks, you might help us to see freedom from your perspective, and that we might be changed by it, so that we might be truly the freest people there are in this world, free to give ourselves in service, because we've been set free by the great servant Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.